Hello and welcome to the Bible and Me podcast brought to you by Precept UK. We are a charity based here in Salisbury focused mainly on Bible study resources and it's our mission to equip people to know God deeply and to live differently as a result. For more information, visit precept.org.uk. But firstly, I just want to start this off by saying a massive thank you to all of our listeners. We are so blessed now to be releasing Series 7 and we couldn't have got there without your incredible testimonies and reviews. If you aren't already, we would love it if you would consider subscribing so that you won't miss out on ordinary people with interesting stories about an extraordinary God. But without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be uh, welcoming the Reverend Jonathan Woodhouse to the Bible and Me podcast today. Uh, Jonathan is a British Baptist minister and a retired senior British Army officer. Uh, He was chaplain general and head of the Royal Army Chaplains Department from 2011 to 2014. He's the first Baptist minister and the second member of the Free Churches to become Chaplain General. Uh, Jonathan was born and educated in Cardiff and after theological college spent 10 years as a Baptist minister before joining the army in 1990 uh, where he served some 24 years. He had a fascinating military career including deployment to Iraq as part of the invasion force in 2003 and also served as a senior chaplain at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. Uh, since retirement, he's been serving on the staff at Moreland's Bible College in Hampshire. Uh, Reverend Jonathan is married to Jackie, and they have two children, uh, David and Becky. So welcome to the podcast. Lovely to have you with us. Nigel, thank you. Good to be here. Um, Jonathan, how did you come to faith in, in Jesus? And, and, you know, why, why do you follow him? Uh, I came to faith um, in Jesus Christ as a 16 and a half year old. Uh, the first night I heard, for me, the story of what it means to become a Christian, it was a conversion experience. And it came through a friend of mine who had uh, become a Christian at school. He was a, I was born in Wales in Cardiff and uh, we played a lot of rugby. He was a very good rugby player. He was a, he didn't have very, very good uh, morals about it. He was a bit of a fisticuffs uh, player. And, uh, but he came to Christ, and I knew him very well, as, and it changed his life. So, so that, for me, was, was interesting, because I love sport. I love football, rugby, cricket. Uh, that took my attention. So his conversion uh, just clicked a little button in my own mind. And um, he invited me to, in those days, what was known as a coffee bar with music and messages, uh, in a church hall and I went on a freezing November night walked up there with him and there was a band playing and somebody s- preached and said something about Jesus and it, it all made sense so he talked to me about it and I said this, this really does make sense he said why don't you come and pray with me now well, I said no 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 uh, no I don't want to do that I'll, I'll have a think about it um, but he said you I know you he said, you'll think about it, you'll forget about it and move on to something else. He said, come with me now into the church, which is what I did. Now, I'm not sure that's great evangelism, but it was in that moment because it was right for me. So I went into the church and I prayed a simple prayer. And all I can say is um, I wept. I, I, I wept with the knowledge of, of God's love. I'd never known this. And I, I, I'd be just a little bit wary of of experience being the main driver but for me that evening 
uh, was a life changer. Wow. So my friend said, you've got to go home, go and tell your family. Well, I could do that. So <laughs> I, 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 got, I got in the house and my father said, you know, what are you, what are you smiling about, son? What are you smiling about? I said, well, I've become a Christian tonight. Don't be silly. You've been out drinking again. Go on, get off. So um, that was that was that was my that was the immediate conversion to Christ. Now, for some people, it takes a long time. For me, it was obviously a very simple conversion. Really, but it changed I, my life. It did, and did it have it? Did it have like an immediate effect straight away on you? Did you sense? Oh, uh, Nigel, totally. And the reason why is because I was set to go to P&O to be a, uh, a mechanical engineer, uh, actually a marine engineer. And my father was a chief marine engineer, and he was very proud that I, at 16, I'd gone to London, got, got an interview and got in. I would have been useless, terrible. I had to get, amongst other um, O-levels at the time, maths, which I failed. And in between retaking maths in the November... Um, and I did um, pass it, but I failed maths. So I, Piano kept this place open for me uh, for another year. I was going to come train in Southampton, and uh, it was very embarrassing because my mother was a maths teacher. So I, it was so embarrassing. I failed it, and out of failure comes something fresh, unexpectedly. I mean, that was the beautiful part of the story. Yeah. Um, I, I did retake it. I scraped through. But by that time, when you asked the question, did it change my life? Yes, I started to study, started to work. So I was taking A-levels to fill the timetable. And I stayed on. And the whole direction of life changed. That's yeah. the difference. Amazing. Total change of direction. Amazing. And, and why do you follow Jesus? Because I have not found in my own experience both in feeling and thinking anything that gives sufficient answer to the purpose of why I am alive or any hope beyond this life or any justice beyond this life, actually. So those things are key for me. Um, and that I've continued in them, not without some, some questions, which I still have, but fundamentally, he provides not simply a purpose, but a measure of peace as well, and and a sense of hope and justice beyond yeah. this. Wonderful. Now, you grew up and uh, were educated in Wales, as you said, in, in Cardiff. Um, what, what are your what are your memories of, of sort of growing up in your early life? Oh, well, um, I, of course, I'm a passionate Welsh rugby supporter. So I uh, love rugby union and um, uh, uh, having been born in Wales. So, and we played a lot of rugby at school. So you had to, you just had to. And, and it was, it's, it's, it's part, it was part of life, part of the fabric of life. Um, and, and love football as, as well and cricket. So used to play a lot of those things. But one of the things I wanted to say uh, in this is, is that the Aberfan disaster in 1966, where um, so many people, over 100 children died in that awful disaster, um, that's imprinted on my mind because it happened in October 
and I came home from school and was aware that sixth formers had gone up to Abervan to try and help out in some way. And that sense of helping um, and also the sense of, um, how can I put it, helplessness, that something like this should happen. And why should God let that happen, actually? It was a, it was a, it was a, was it a coal slide into... It was a coal uh, slide, National yeah, yeah. Board, and massive yeah, coal yeah. slide that, uh, that just thundered down a mountain yeah. one Friday morning and engulfed uh, uh, Pankland School. Yeah. And, uh, and, and interestingly, once I'd become a Christian and I was looking at seeing what God wanted me to do and was being tested to be become a Baptist minister, I was asked to go and preach at Abavan as a trial sermon. Hmm. I was 22. What would I know? Um, but I went there and, and the minister who was there, the Reverend Kenneth Hayes, was a man who had lost a child in that disaster. So there was a, it was a kind of full circle running in, in one sense. And, and I just sense what on earth do I know at this stage in life? And, and, and what gives me any right to say anything yeah. from scriptures? Yeah, yeah. I prayed and, and what came to mind was, was preaching on the resurrection from John chapter 11 and the, the, and the hope of, of Christ, which is what I did. Uh, and Kenneth Hayes was there. Uh, he knew about suffering. Oh, did he? Yeah. He was the minister in that town, had lost a child yeah. uh, and was lovely and actually stayed in touch with me. Uh, until uh, he went to glory um, to heaven um, some years ago, but he stayed in touch with me over the, over the years. Uh, yeah, just me. So, out of suffering, what what an extraordinary man, and, and that that made a deep impact on me. Interesting, interesting. Now you you um, you went to study theology at the London School of Theology, didn't you? And I'm guessing from what you said so far is that that experience at 16 and you know the months and sort of years after that was did that end up you going to LST was it was that the sort of spark that got you yeah it it was really and and um there was a a Welsh evangelist um a a man called Mervyn Morgan who was a great mentor and help and blessing as he was to many people across the UK uh, during that period lots of uh, young people were coming to faith in Christ at that time and he was aware of it we weren't uh, and he would encourage us to go on mission and so on. He said, well, why don't you go and study? And the London Bible College, as it was then, become, becomes the LST. So um, I went there and, and was accepted and so on. The wonderful thing about the college is it was international. Uh, so you had students from Africa, Asia, North South America, uh, Eastern Europe, Australasia, I mean, this was a fascinating mix to be involved with as a, as a young man. They still play football, by the way, which I loved, and, uh, um, and, and still went on, on, on mission. But the study was fantastic because it gave the opportunity, and I now, I now realise how good an opportunity it was, um, it gave an opportunity to study in depth and to get foundations I would not have had otherwise for the ministry yeah. I ended up doing. Sure, sure. And, and you were, in fact, you were ordained as a Baptist minister in 1980 and you served uh, in that capacity in Eastbourne and then again in uh, Croydon. Um, what did you learn over those years um, about the Lord and also about leading others to faith? Well, just prior to becoming a Baptist minister, I had to go to Spurgeon's College. So I did a couple of years there and then launched in. The, the, the extraordinary thing is it, 
what I learned about, about that was consistency. And I learned that from a senior minister because uh, I was 25 years of age at that stage. Uh, and what would I know then? Probably everything. And then you learn to know less. <laughs> and he was brilliant. Uh, great teacher, great pastor, but great gentle evangelist. That was the key for me. It was very gentle. Um, it, it wasn't inflicted on anybody. So um, really just through um, speaking and talking and teaching especially with young people and young um, marrieds and you never know your influence you just never know so uh, amongst the youth group was a, a young man who goes on to get called into ministry as several of them did and uh, he's now senior chaplain at Eton now I'd never right now so I'd never have thought that he would have come out of that stuff and, and done that and I think he as I would say it's just about the it's just about the consistent lifestyle of someone who is a mentor to you. Uh, mm. So that happened. In terms of leading people to Christ, my deepest memory really is of people who were on the edge of the church. Um, and in particular, a painter and decorator who came to us at Selston, uh, who just wanted to, to know and just ordinary language, really. And and just asking him questions uh, rather than me giving answers, asking him questions. Mm. Uh, it gives him the chance to say things. And he became a Christian. I was able to baptize him, had the privilege of doing that for his, himself and his wife. So, so they're the sort of things that became yeah, consistency. <laughs> consistency of life and and being on the edge of the church no question about that mm, yeah i love that sort of walking walking the talk um so, it's however yeah. however limited you are in that because you, you know one is always aware of how far one falls i'm always amazed at the number of people who said to me in in ministry and i'm sure come on to army ministry but the number of people who say i'm not good enough and we give the impression that you've got to be good enough to be a Christian. Yeah. So the consistency of walk is all very well, but actually I'm not a goodian. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Christian. Yeah. So guess yeah. what? I'm not good enough either. And mm. Um, mm. so, but, so I, it's important. I think I've always found it important to say, look, I'm, you know, I'm not that good. I'm really not that good either. I'm not. And, and that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. That, that yeah, yeah. It, it's through Christ's death on the cross and, his resurrection that's all i don't deserve any of this so stuff mm. so um yeah mm, wonderful i like that i'm not a goodian i'm a christian yeah very good very good now you were you were commissioned into the royal army chaplain's department in may 1990 mm. uh, how did the lord lead you to join the army because that's a very different thing to leading churches <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, um, that's a great and, yeah and all and also just three months before or very so shortly before the gulf war um you know i mean were you joining up to go to war <laughs> no i i i'd sense this um calling into ministry when i was at spurgeon's college an army chaplain to come into the college and on the parcel studies course and talked about army chaplaincy he was an army chaplain and i went up to him afterwards and i said Do you know i believe god might be calling me into this i'd really want to i'm really interested in this he said he said, well, you can't, not at the moment. There's not many places for Baptist ministers. And anyway, you've got to get some experience in a church. So th that was with me. My brother-in-law uh, was a sergeant in the Royal Signals. 
so he'd married my sister and he said to me not a christian he said to me um you ought to be an army chaplain you know that's what you should do so so i get these two these two arrows coming at me one from a, a, a you know a, another baptist minister who's an army chaplain who says yeah well okay in time give it time and someone who's not a christian in the army a sergeant says well, i think you should be an army chaplain mm. so so that's what it came out of. My wife and I, Jackie and I, her father had been in the Royal Air Force as a, as a pilot. And so she knew that the moving around stuff um, w- w- was there and with a young family. Um, we were not agreed at that time to go, f- to go forward. So, um, and I thought maybe those opportunities wouldn't come my way. But at age 35, I, I still sense that I believe God wants me to do this. Mm. Uh, I mean, I was told, you know, it's kind of professional suicide to do this, and you know, you you, you, you can't hack it in the, in the church and so on. I think we're doing you know, God was very good to us and, and the church sells and um, so I think it was those reasons. I just sense God's call and to be on the edge of the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, sensing God's call. I mean, that's a whole. We can spend hours talking about that. How did God call? How do you sense God's call? But clearly, it was something that wasn't going away, was it? It wasn't going away, and it wasn't joining to go to war. I, I understand what you're, you're saying, but it was May 1990 I joined, and by the summer, and I was in Cyprus, actually. I, uh, we moved to Germany. I was yep. in, we were in Germany, and our unit, uh, Royal Artillery unit, was in Cyprus. I'd flown to Cyprus because of a death uh, and, and was involved with soldiers then, and whilst there, the invasion of Iraq about the FQ8 happened. Yeah, in 1991, yeah, that first first Gulf War, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember it well. We sent a lot of our soldiers out there from the regiment I was with. Now, you clearly enjoyed military service um, mm. because you transferred from a short service commission uh, to a regular commission after yeah. about five years of service. Now, up until this point, what, what were you enjoying about being a chaplain in the military? And also, um, how did you find being a Christian minister amongst the army because because slight understatement they're not all christians in the army are they i mean it's a it's a huge um it is a huge uh, uh field for harvest really isn't it so so what were you enjoying and how did you find up until this point being in the military and being amongst soldiers and okay uh, okay first thing two things first thing uh i had a lot to learn so I'd had 10 years experience of being a, a pastor and being in the center of what was going on. You go into the military and into the army in particular, which has lots of traditions, uh, lots of formality and informality. Uh, and so I had a lot to learn. And that was quite humbling because my first senior chaplain in the army had been, had spent less time in a parish than I'd done in, in a Baptist ministry. So um, but he knew much more about the army context. So I was having to learn a lot and, and to learn you're not the centre of gravity. You're not the centre of where it all is at all as a chaplain. You're mm. on the edges, you work in liminal spaces. But this is the second thing. Learning was the first thing. The second thing was freedom. The freedom to go within certain boundaries anywhere you wished to go and to meet with anyone you chose to meet with. Now, it's not the whole story, but it is to say the extraordinary way in which the army would, um, and commanding officers and regimental sergeant majors would say, Padre, 
could you just come and have a chat with so-and-so? Or if I wanted to, I could go and see a commanding officer and the door would be open. And normally it would be open because um, they themselves have their own needs. Well, however they present to everybody else, they have their own needs. I used to say this later on, going to commanding officer designate courses and speaking of those. Um, and, and, and the experience was really saying, look, you know and I know that we are very human and that, and that the great thing about a chaplain is he's not after your job, so don't worry about it. He's, not, he's, not, he's just there to give you the chance to unload and talk through things that you might not do with anybody else. Yeah. And that was the freedom the chaplaincy gave and I also found in terms of mission, because I think it's very missional, it's a soft-skilled, relational, inclusive ministry. Yeah. And that's wonderful. But that's it. But um, I mean, I was in the military 25 years and obviously served with different chaplains myself. Hmm. Um, it's difficult because, and particularly the last 20 years where the, where the army has been posted at short notice all over the place i mean building those relationships with people because you could you can start that relationship and all of a sudden he's hoiked off to afghanistan or bosnia or wherever it may be so to to build those those strong relationships is quite tricky isn't it did you find that tricky uh, very much so to begin with, but then I came to understand that everybody else has moved around as well. So the context is everybody's on the move, everybody is unsettled. You have to work within that context and understand it. Uh, and that's the big difference between church life or any other institution life, is that you don't have time. You can't settle in for two years. That's your posting over. Yeah. So you, you've got to move fairly quickly. The other thing is that, that mission and evangelism in that sense is, in a way, it's a bit like a hen trying to lay an egg on an escalator in Russia. You don't, you don't, have, the, you don't have time. You, you have to take the moment and the opportunity. That's not to rush in because you can be calm and measured, but you do have to take those Kairos moments as yeah. terms yeah, yeah, yeah. of opportune time. Yeah, but... Very good, very good. Now, over over the space of eleven years or so, you you rose through the ranks, and you found yourself in March two thousand three as part of the invasion force for the Second Gulf War. Um, so, I got a few questions related to this. First one is, how did you square going to war with being a Christian? I mean, aren't we supposed to love our enemies? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a fundamental question, which if you don't address before you go into the military, you, you've not done your homework. So uh, I have a huge respect for the pacifist tradition, which is, is a very powerful uh, tradition. Um, uh, uh, but I don't hold that position. I think that the Augustinian idea, which is rooted, I think, in, in some parts of scripture uh, about um, the beginnings of just war, where it may be appropriate, but limited, um, and that the the end result is always to, to to have peace and a complete peace, a shalom, a complete peace, not just the absence of hostility. So so I t I've always taken the view of of just war as being appropriate. Um, that is not to glorify war. I've been there, done that. It is not a glorious thing. And 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 I, I can remember being um, sharing a. Um, 
Ethics of War at Sandhurst with um, with uh, officer cadets. Uh, while I was there, with I, I co-presented with a, a major who won a military cross in Iraq. He was an atheist, and I just said, "I'm probably not." So, so which of course I'm not an atheist. So, so it, it was interesting presenting and presenting on on um, pacifism and uh, just just war. Um, it's it's not a popular view because we all want peace all the time. All of us yeah. do. Yeah. All of us do. There's no question about that. However. There may be circumstances within which um, uh, the use uh, within boundaries of force in order to, in order to create the conditions for peace may be necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's my view on it. Sure. Uh, what what was your what was your role actually going going to war? Um, and have you got any particular memories of of, of being out there in in the Gulf, and I understand you had your twenty fifth wedding anniversary out there as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not yes. For... <laughs> I do. yeah, yeah. It's been uh, Jackie's forgiven me for that, but uh, but not for the twenty five years, but for the non celebration. Really. So uh, going back to the first part of the question, which is to do with what did I do? I led a team in quite short order, um, a team of um, nine chaplains in sixteen air assault brigade, um, and pulling that team together in quite quite short order because I'd left a death solid job as a staff chaplain of the chaplain general at the time uh, and moved to, to, to Colchester where that brigade was and is and um, and just had to fly out and, and flying out um, on a snowy day in England and flying out to Q8 um, and having to be minister to soldiers and officers within the brigade itself uh, and leading a team of chaplains, all of whom from time to time would have dark moments and, and would have periods of time which were quite difficult and trying to pull people together and say, right, where we can, before we launch north, we need to meet together for prayer and for practical discussions. Um, the brigade commander gave us some time as well and just said, I'm happy that you go where you wish within certain boundaries. I don't want to have to rescue you, but yeah. you have such an important ministry yeah. within this brigade, each of you, that you have freedom to, to, to move where you think you should, but just be wise. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was a great privilege. Yeah, yeah. I mean, were, were soldiers more open to the gospel, would you say, as a result of possible dangers that they felt uh, being killed and dying? And, you know, what's going to happen if I die? I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and and uh, although it wasn't a it wasn't at that stage highly kinetic when Scud missiles first start coming in, then people start to understand this is not a game box uh, at all. It is for real. Um, I remember uh, having uh, putting a communion tent, uh, a communion tent, a tent up as a kind of little church. And uh, early on, within a few days, um, we had a group called the Pathfinders with us. And um, the OC was a Christian, actually, um, who I married later on um, with his wife in, in Scotland. But um, one of his soldiers came to me, corporal, uh, all cammed up. Um, and I said, look, we're, we're going to ha have a service in half an hour. Do you want to come back? He said, no, I'm about to go out tonight. I went out last night. I killed men for the first time. I'm a Christian. Um, I don't know if I'll come back because we're going out shortly. Can I take communion? So I said, put your weapons down, put all your weapons down, come in. 
let's share bread and wine. And I'll tell you what, the sharing of broken bread together and of, of, of wine, the sacrifice of Jesus is such a powerful thing to do in those circumstances. Um, he was a Pentecostal Christian. Um, he then went out into the night uh, and went out on his, his operation with his small team. Uh, he did come back. His wife was out in the brigade area elsewhere as, as a serving soldier elsewhere with a different regiment. Um, I've met him since. Um, and when we came back, he, he knocked on my door. He made an appointment to see me, actually. He, and he said, I, I, I want to see you. And he, he, he made an appointment and he, he brought to me a, I've got it up here, actually, um, here in my, my study. He brought to me a framed picture with him and his small team in a certain location um, mm-hmm. with um, the uh, badge that is worn for uh, on the right hand side of the, the, of the, of the arm, just illustrating who is with pathfinders and the text from the Bible, which was from Genesis. And uh, it says, it's Hagar, uh, even here in the desert, have I seen God um, and lived after my vision. Yeah, uh, and he he got it always made up with 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 frame and glass and and with a, yeah. it was just amazing, yeah. amazing, yeah. grateful thing that he did. Yeah, amazing. well, yeah, what a what an amazing experience for you to be out there, really, um, in very difficult circumstances. Now, in twenty oh five, you had a key role in the spiritual development of uh, officer cadets. Um, as you were appointed the senior chaplain at the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, also while Prince William and Harry were training there, I understand. Hmm. Um, what are your memories of that time there? And, and did you see them coming to faith at all or have opportunities to, to witness to them? Yeah, I mean, I can't say anything about them. Um, and in fact, interestingly enough, um, interestingly enough, um, I, was, I was interviewed by the, the Times um, their religious affairs correspondent, uh, and uh, I, I had I had someone with me on the, on that interview, and uh, at no stage could I say anything about. Forgive anything. me, for, forgive me for asking the question. No, 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 no quite, <laughs> no, quite happy about the, the, the princes. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. I, you know, when I was asked questions about what we taught, for example, I said every cadet goes to yeah. this. <laughs> so yeah. that's all yeah. I could say. Yeah. The great privilege, of course, is that is that you, uh, everybody mucks in at, at that place. Office cadets who have either been to university or haven't, they they all have to muck in, and they they work they work so hard, so hard under under significant pressure as a team, and they are all deeply impressive people. Uh, all the cadets are, and and I think that's what what I saw. One of the great privileges is, is, is going out on exercise uh, with the cadets and seeing them in very different circumstances um, and, and just being, working together. And that's one of the great things that you're taught there. And the, one of the great things that as a chaplain you learn is that you work in a team and boy, oh boy, you work together because when the chips are down, you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big difference, I have to say, in between military life and chaplaincy and civilian. And by that, I mean very simply this. When all the discussion and all the information discussion uh, has been made, when a decision is made, everybody is committed and goes. 
I don't always find it <laughs> in the civilian setting. And, and I would say to those listening, that is something to reflect on, yeah. especially if we talk about being servants, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, the, the motto of Santos is serve to lead, isn't it? So, yeah, it yeah. is. It is. And I will tell you another quick story from that, because we had some money available uh, and we managed to get it for the chapel and managed to put a marble slab up over the west door where all the cadets and officers walk out or walk into. But as they walk out, they now see the text from Mark chapter 10 and verse 42. 22, yes, which yeah. about, about the, the Son of Man came not to serve. Did not come serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom of many. Yeah. And Mark, as you know, and yeah. as I know, the motto at Sandhurst is serve to lead. Yes. Well, who do we yeah, get that yeah. from? Jesus. Oh, amen. 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 Now, in, in July 2011, you, you actually reached the top of the military tree for chaplains. Um, you were promoted to Major General and you were appointed the Chaplain General to Her Majesty's land forces um what did the appointment entail and how did you go about encouraging others in the christian faith in this very important appointment um the first thing is it's it's a great privilege to be um to to be appointed and um clearly the army number one board make that decision um i i think that there are several things. The first is, um, you are there to deliver chaplaincy to the British Army and to make sure that every officer and soldier has the opportunity um, to have some form of ministry if they choose offered to them and certainly to have an openness to be able to pastorally have someone who is able to say confidential things to them and to unload absolute key and and during a highly highly um strong operational time and the army was you know had strong things going on in two big theaters uh, iraq and afghanistan it was you know life was pretty full full on um what i found was the, the the ethos for me and i wrote it down at the time was to celebrate faithfulness that that every chaplain is the basic building block within a, a unit um so whether we think we are so-called successful or not we just go by the words of jesus well done a good and faithful servant that, that's yeah. that's the ministry yeah, yeah um to encourage trust um always be realistic about human nature but go for trust and sometimes you'd be disappointed uh, but sometimes you'd be surprised um, mm. and if we trust God and 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 engage r- the whole time with with um, with those who we should be engaging with, um, then then God will take care of the rest. Yeah. How did you square the? Because um, of course, you know, the, uh, people serving in the military—they're not just from Christian backgrounds, and and you you've got Muslims and Sikhs and people from different religions. How did you? Were there tensions with you as a Christian overseeing that sort of chaplaincy service to soldiers, um, but also overseeing, I guess, the fact that there were Muslims and and people from other religions in the army? How did you deal with that? I think think, think it's fairly straightforward in the sense that um, every soldier and officer in all three services, and certainly within the British Army, um, should have the um, 
his ability to, to access a, a chaplain for religious purposes, as spiritual purposes, as well as pastoral or moral. So um, if people choose to do that from their faith, they should be given that freedom to do so, and that provision should be made. Um, and that that was made. And I think that's a powerful thing because it says that um, others should be free to come to their own choices. Now, I come from a Baptist tradition. Thomas Helwys, not a well-known man, uh, in the 17th century, wrote to the king of England at the time and wrote about what was called the mystery of iniquity, in which he said, everybody should have freedom of religion. He said, whether it's Christian, and he named some other faiths as well. Even at that time, as a Baptist Christian, he's saying there should be openness of faith. We don't know if he lost his head or not. Uh, we don't know anything else about him, really. So, so that's, that's quite important in, in the days we are. And, and, but equally, I can't be anything else but a Christian. I am a Christian chaplain. I can't. There's no such thing as a neutral chaplain. There is this sort of su suggestion for some that you can, you can buy a neutral chaplain off the shelf. No one comes with a view from nowhere, so we shouldn't kid ourselves about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah. therefore, um, you know, the Christian faith has long been with the British Army, but it is not the only faith. Uh, in fact, the Jewish faith and Jewish chaplains are with us from um, the late 1890s. Yeah. Uh, but more recently with with other faiths uh, as well so i think i think it's right to provide that provision it's it, it, so yeah. in that's in that sense it was not a difficulty sure sure now you left the army in 2014 and you were appointed you were appointed a companion of the order of bath or cb uh, what what does this mean and and was it who gave who gave this to you mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, yes, thank you. It's it's um, it's the shallow end of the bath. So it's the CB. <laughs> there is a KCB, which is a knighthood, of course, and the GCB, which is the third, the third, um, the deep part of the bath. Uh, so, so it's no, it's a great, great privilege, really. And Her Majesty the Queen um, uh, gave me that uh, honour, and I received that from her at Windsor Castle. Really, because you you had actually become a, an honorary chaplain to the Queen, hadn't you as well? I'd become a Queen's honorary chaplain in two thousand and eight. Yes, and and actually, of course, because of various roles of consecrating colours, for example, which I've done in the gardens of Buckingham Palace and uh, on Horse Guards Parade and uh, in in lots of other locations, um, if, because of that role, um, you know, there is a meeting with with. Uh, royals who are colonels of, of regiments and so on so that's that, 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 that's a great privilege um, and they're great occasions very formal occasions and yet they're not they're they're family-based occasions too for the for, for the regiment so it's an odd business being a chaplain in the sense that you do the very formal and you do the utterly informal as well massive privilege yeah yeah so the cb a great honor and and fabulous to go to windsor and receive that from her majesty who of course remains um uh, who, who remains our, our um, patron in the Royal Army Chapter Department. So. Yeah, yeah, and she's got a wonderful faith, hasn't she? Praise the Lord for her. Praise the Lord for her. Now, um, you currently work at Moreland's uh, Bible College. You're on the staff there, um, interacting with students and staff uh, alike. 
Uh, and Moreland's is known as a Bible college for upholding uh, the veracity of the word of God. And, and, and uh, you know, it's very strong on that. Why is the word of God important to you? And somebody may be listening to this and thinking, well, yeah, OK, I've heard of the Bible, but you know what? So what? Why is it important? Because of its inspiration and authority. Uh, I can go and read lots of stuff with great authors um, in all sorts of fields from extraordinary people. But this collection of 66 books um, with poetry and history and letters and testimony uh, and apocalypse, so many things within it, it makes the claim to be inspired and it is the it is it is the church's authoritative uh, piece of, of writing uh, and therefore um, I go back to it day by day and, and always have done since becoming a Christian so I, I keep learning from it I expect to hear God speak to me through it and in it um, I find it so because it is inspired uh, makes that claim, and I think it is, um, I find it endlessly um, rich in, 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 in spiritual wisdom, really. Yeah. And you, you obviously, um, being a Baptist minister, you would do preach a lot. Have pre how, how do you go about studying it? I'm mean, thinking of, you know, maybe young, young people coming to ordained ministry and listening to you who've, who've you know, been a minister and a preacher for years how what sort of top tips have you got for 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 studying the bible oh i'm not sure that any of them are top tips all i would say <laughs> is that um i work at work at the text let the text speak and, and and then 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 allow that to do so through your personality and your experience but work at the text because because it's the text that's really important it's what god says in the text and how you apply it. We can all tell lots of stories, which are great, um, but actually work at the text and, and, and you will help others. It, 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 that's been my own experience. Um, and I think it's quite key because otherwise preaching and communicating is just about us, isn't it? And we've yeah, got wonderful. to be somewhere else. Yeah, that's wonderful. And. Uh, you may or may not know this, but as a ministry, you know, this podcast, Precept, Precept uh, podcast, um, as a ministry, that's what we're seeking to do, <laughs> to equip people to um, to work at the text, as you say. I love that expression. I've not heard it called that before um, because it is rich, isn't it? And and it's and we live life at such a pace, you know, we can skip over it and say I miss so much rather than sort of slowing down to really you know, see what it says and then understand what it means in its context and then apply it, as you say, moving forward, I think. So those of you that are listening to this um, that would love to get deeper into the Bible and, and um, as Reverend Jonathan is talking about here, please contact us. We'd love to help you. Um, and interestingly, actually, we have a number of people that come across precepts and start studying, going into the Bible deeper, and they end up going to theological college and god takes them on to become ministers or youth ministers we have a number of people that have actually gone through moorlands and it's wonderful to see them uh you know to be a sort of small cog in their journey as it were of faith to discover the value of the word it's fantastic i i work with four things 
Uh, the first is the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the story in the, in the text is always there, the simplicity. But I don't stay there because everything is not always simple. The second thing I work with is the complexity of, of belief. It is complex. How can the Trinity be three in one, one in three, and, 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 and remain as one God in three? How did Jesus be fully man, fully God? All this. So, so the complexity of belief is there too. If I just stay with complexity, I'm not telling the truth either. Third thing I work with is ambiguity. The ambiguity of life. There are things that I don't construct which are just ambiguous. I, I don't know the answers to them. I can give provisional answers, but I don't have all the answers. I, I can package it, and some Christians like to package it. I get that. But I don't think that's really how it is. So I work with the ambiguity of life. And the fourth thing is, the final thing is the sovereignty of God. So, so God overshadows all things. And, and I work with all four things. Simplicity, complexity, ambiguity, and the sovereignty of God. That's what I do. Mm. Uh, because for me... Um, if I try and just stay with one of those, it isn't where it all is. Mm, wonderful. I've not heard that one before. Uh, that, that, is, that is great. Now, now, do you have a favourite uh, Bible book, book of the Bible or character mm. at all? Um, the the favourite um, book has to be the Psalms, which I go to every day um, because they tell of the rich experience of being at the top of the mountain and in the deepest valley and every station in between. They talk about anger, hope, love, joy, devastation, the whole gamut. And I think that's all part of life. And I find huge, rich help from the Psalms. But I also find um, the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of Mark, because it's the first, probably the the first Gospel, uh, and the eyewitness account probably of Peter, uh, it's it's rich in it, in its immediacy. So yeah. those two yeah, things. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Uh, what about a favourite Bible verse? Oh, that's so difficult. You do ask hard questions, don't you? That's, <laughs> that's almost impossible. <laughs> um, I, I, I tell you what I'll go for. Um, I will go for um, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 16 to 18. So it's not one verse. And it was printed in my ordination Bible in 1980. Um because it speaks of um, it's pray it's a prayer, um, praying that um, I would know God's um, the riches of of God's uh, wisdom in my inner life. So it's it's about the inner life and God's riches coming into the inner life. That is that is for me a very very key uh, scripture. So it's, it's, do, it's, do you read? Do you want to? I'll, I'll read it. I've got it here. Yeah, please go for it. It's the prayer in Ephesians 3 and verse 16, where Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That verse, or those verses, I read with a Royal Signals officer on the night before we launched into Iraq and we prayed together and used those verses. Lord, please strengthen us in our inner lives uh, mm. for all that is to come. Mm. Wonderful. Wonderful. And um, well, that is, yeah, great, great verses there. Uh, and we pray for those that are listening to this podcast that that may be the, the case for them as well, you know. 
but you listening um, may have Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith as well and be strengthened in your inner being. So um, as we come into land on the podcast, um, what's what's next for you? Uh, Moses was 75 when God called him. Uh, he still had uh, how many? 45 years ahead of him when he was called at 75. <laughs> what what's uh, what's ahead, do you think? Well, I'm, I'm continuing at, at Morelands with the, uh, the, the teaching role. I'll do some chaplaincy as well. That will come to uh, an end. But the, the teaching role I want to stay with because I still teach on chaplaincy as a specialism on their MA. And I teach ethics in professional practice and ministry on the MA as well. So I, if they still want me, I'll still do that. Um, uh, and I also have some very good links in around the Southampton area. And yesterday, in fact, was on a a conference call with 20 chaplains in various as- various aspects of chaplaincy, including the Southampton Football Club chaplain and uh, hospital chaplains and town centre chaplains and so on and so on. And, and, and to try and bring some encouragement and prayer and support and resources within that sort of, of, of arena. So um, I still preach in, in various churches from time to time, but it's the chaplaincy thing that fires me because it's, it, it's being where people mostly are for most of the time. At yeah. Work. yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I can see you're, you're, yeah, corralling, corralling and encouraging and motivating and for service. I sort of see that. So, um, well, listen, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast today. Um, it's amazing, actually, looking back and um, how the Lord has led you and, and, and used your skills and talents and abilities and uh, in very strategic places at strategic times. Lovely to also hear the, the, the stories of the individual's lives that you've, you've been able to encourage, uh, you know, that pathfinder, that young pathfinder, um, and still to be part of his journey as well is, is great. Uh, I mean, the Christian life is the most wonderful thing, really, isn't it? It really is. Uh, you know, it, it's not... You don't come to Christ and everything's hunky dory, but it is an incredible journey, and it is it is a, a and we have that hope, don't we? We have that hope that when the Lord calls us, uh, when our days are over, um, we've been studying uh, um, as well some some scriptures and uh, from John one John chapter four uh, and John three sixteen that well known you know gospel passage God so loved the world um, and His love extends so much that He wants to spend eternity with us he said you know sent his son whoever releasing them should not perish but have eternal life and we're going to have eternal life with him so that god's love extends to the effect that he wants to spend eternity with us which is just a mind-boggling thing isn't it um so thank you so much for being on the podcast today god bless you in your ministry at moreland's uh, i have a connection with moreland's i'm going to be teaching there shortly actually uh, myself and um you know, may the Lord continue to to use you in wonderful ways to bless countless people. So thank you so much. Nigel, thank you so much. And, and all I can say is God is good, isn't he? God is good. Mm. And thank you for the privilege of, uh, of, of chatting with you this morning. Not at all. Not at all. It's my pleasure.